If you're new to Northside, you may not know our practice. We have a theme each year, an annual theme. And from that theme, we hope that we focus a little better on one thing. Instead of jumping around a lot of different topics, we try to stay on that major theme. And uh, last year's was building a sure foundation. We spent a year talking about uh, what we need to do at Northside to build this congregation uh, into a continuing strong servant of God. Uh, so we have a theme, and then from that we pick a number of different series and uh, all hopefully support the main theme. <clears throat> That's what we do on Sunday mornings. On Sunday evenings, uh, we pick a text or a topic. We've gone through whole books of the Bible. Uh, we pick a topic of some sort and spend all year working on that one thing. And once again, hopefully that helps us focus and deepen our knowledge of some specific thing. Uh, tonight we begin 2013's new topic, and actually it's an old one. We're going back to uh, uh, Faith Walkers. That's what we're going back to. Uh, about five, seven years ago we did Faith Walkers, and we looked at heroes of the uh, faith, and we're going to continue that this year because we didn't get many covered uh, the first year that we did that. So we've got plenty more to talk about. Uh, hopefully all this focus on one thing helps us remember, helps us uh, build our knowledge, and hopefully build our application of what we're talking about. Uh, this 2013 topic, I think, is maybe going to be the best one so far. I've called it Living by the Book, and it's about how we live and what we live by. You may not be aware of this, but different people live by different rules. Uh, different people have different principles or guiding principles that they live by. Uh, some of them you see on bumper stickers. You know, if it feels good, do it. That's the way some people live. And that's a philosophy of life, actually. Uh, some people live by, look out for number one. Now, I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to make me happy. And nobody else really matters. Some people think, well, I, I'm just trying to be a good person. That's how I'm going to live my life. I'm just going to try to do the right thing and just be a good moral person. And that's kind of my guiding principle. There's all kinds of crazy things out there to live by. People print all kinds of books that you can read. And some people live by Oprah and some people live by Dr. Phil. And some people have all kinds of practices that they try to live by. But some also believe that there is a book. A book that is reliable, that is infallible, that is the most certain, that is the most accurate, that is the most helpful collection of advice and instruction and rules for living. In fact, they believe that it was written by the Spirit of the Living God. It is the book. Some people believe you should live by that, and that's our concept this year. In your handout is a quote by Samuel Chadwick. He's an old minister from England. He said this, I have guided my life by the Bible for more than 60 years, and I tell you, there's no book like it. It's a miracle of literature, a perennial spring of wisdom a wonder of surprises, a revelation of mystery, an infallible guide of conduct, 
and an unspeakable source of comfort. Pay no attention to people who discredit it, for I tell you that they speak without knowledge. It is the infallible word of God. Study it according to its own direction. Live by its principles. Believe its message. Follow its precepts. No man is uneducated who knows the Bible. And no one is wise who is ignorant of its teachings. I ask, what if he's right? What if he's right? What if it is the book? What if the book is the way to live? read a story, a true story, of a family that was new Christians, and they thought we should probably start a family devotional in our house. They had two sons, seven and ten, and so they started a devotional, and they just read a little bit of the Bible every night and talked about it. And one night they got to Romans 12.20. Romans 12.20 says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Well, you can imagine a seven and ten-year-old boy, they... they Thought well, that's kind of weird. Why would you feed your enemy? Why would you want to do that? And so they began to ask questions, and mother looked over at the head of the house and expected an answer. Well, he was a brand new Christian, so he didn't know. It didn't make sense to him either. But he said, "Well, we should do that because God said so." And that's a pretty good answer, but that's all he could come up with. So they went on with their devotional time and did some other things. And a week or so later, the fifth grader came home from school, and he was just distraught. And he began to tell his parents about how this kid behind him, Bob, just annoyed him continually. Just was always jabbing him during class and picking on him and bullying and all that. And he said, I've about had enough of it. I'm going to punch him out someday at recess. And they began to talk about this and how awful Bob was and all that. And the seven-year-old said, maybe you should feed him. (laughs) Well, everybody laughed at first, and then they began to realize that, well, that's what the book said. And so they, they looked at each other, and they talked to each other. And once again, they looked to the head of the house and said, well, what do you think, Dad? And he said, well, I guess you should. Because God said so. And he looked at the oldest son and he said, well, what's Bob like to eat? And the kid immediately said, jelly beans. He loves jelly beans. And so the family talked about it and they went and got some jelly beans and made up a little bag of them and laid out a plan that the next time Bob poked him that he wasn't supposed to say anything. He'd just turn around and lay that bag of jelly beans on Bob's desk. Well, he came home that night from school, and he was just jumped off the bus all excited and hardly wait to see everybody. And he said, they said, what happened? He said, well, pretty soon Bob jabbed me. So I just turned around and set that bag of jelly beans there. He was so surprised he didn't say a word. But he took them. And he never said another thing about it, but he didn't jab me the rest of the day. And the story goes on that the young man and Bob became the best of friends. And some of you are saying, well, that's a silly childish illustration. I ask, 
What if? What if living by the book really works? From something as silly as that to major things. What if it works? What if old minister Chadwick is right? In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And he said, when you received the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of men. But as it actually is, the Word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And this is in the middle of a prayer. Paul was thanking God. He said, I thank God for this. That you Christians in Thessalonica, you brand new Christians there, you received the Word of God. You believed this was the Word of God. And you accepted it, not just as good advice or suggestions or a self-help book, but you accepted it as the actual Word of God. And you live by it because it's at work in you. It's a powerful thing. The Word of God is a powerful thing, and it works in us if we live by it. I believe it's a good idea to listen to old-timers. Old folks that have some experience, not just book learning, not just something they've read, but something that they've lived through, something that they've experienced, and they know this works and this doesn't. David, when he was an old timer, had a lot of experience. David rose from being a shepherd boy, the least in his family, to the king of Israel. He became the most famous, the most powerful, the most popular man in the world. And he had, as high as he had those highs, he had pretty low lows also. Because he messed up. He tried things that weren't the right thing. Adultery, lying, murder, the the list goes on. He, He broke his own heart. He had a dysfunctional family because of those wrong paths that he took. He had rebellious children. He lost children to death. He had all kinds of experiences in life. And I believe he learned what worked and what didn't work. And after all of those experiences, David said in Psalm 19... The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great 
reward. What if? What if David's right? What if what David says about the book is actually true? That if you live by it, it'll warn you away from danger. If you live by it, there'll be great reward. If you live by it, it's more valuable than gold. What if? Let's break down David's song. And this is on your, your handout. Uh, I realize the arrangement's a little strange there. But if you go down the middle of the page, the phrases that are underlined, that's the first thing David says in all six of the statements. He talks about the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the ordinance of the Lord. All of those are different ways of saying the book, of saying the word of God. And David, in his poetic style, calls it different things every time. But that's what he's saying. The Word of God. Now, let's look at his conclusions, since we know he's talking about the Word of God. First, he says, the Word of God is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, I didn't put a whole lot of detail down on your handout. You can write some other things down if you want to. But I put some synonyms down there or some other ways of thinking about that phrase. First, he says it's perfect. And that means it is complete. That means it is comprehensive. That means it doesn't lack anything. It's, it's got everything you need. It is perfect or complete. Some of you have in the back of your Bible a concordance, and it gives you a few words, and you can find the Scripture from that. I've got one in my office that's that thick and that big and all that, and it says exhaustive concordance. doesn't mean it exhausts you, but it does if you wanted to read it, I guess. But it exhausts everything in the Bible. Your concordance has the big words like salvation and kingdom and all of that. The exhaustive concordance has every word in the Bible, including a, including the, including and, every pronoun, every adjective, every word in the Bible. And there's a lot of A's in the Bible. It goes on for pages and pages and pages. You can find every one of them. It is perfect. It's complete. It's exhaustive. And David says, God's Word, the book, is perfect Complete, restore, reviving the soul. And soul means us, the, the whole person, our real self. And a better word maybe than reviving is restoring, or a better one even is transforming. It's got everything you need to transform you into what God wants. Then he says, the word of God is trustworthy, making wise the simple. Trustworthy, worthy of trust. It's sure. It's reliable. You can count on it. You want a reliable measure. Anybody know how wide this pulpit is? I can, I can tell you pretty exactly because my hand span is almost exactly 10 inches. So it is about 35 and a quarter inches. you say, well, I don't know if I trust that or not. 
Well, you'd go get your tape measure, wouldn't you? You get a Stanley tape that you, you trust more. And some of you, that might not be enough of it for you. You want something more accurate. You want to really be sure. Well, if you want to really be sure, you go to the Bureau of Standards, Weights, and Measures, and they've got a platinum bar that's marked exactly one meter. You could bring that in here, and if somehow you can convert meters to feet, you can figure that out. That would be trustworthy, wouldn't it? Well, David uses that word about the book. He said it is sure, it's reliable. You can count on it. And what it does, you can count on it to do, it will make wise the simple. And the word he uses for simple is actually an open door. He's talking about somebody that's not discerning, that doesn't know what to do. It's not that they're stupid, they're just ignorant. They, they haven't learned, they don't know. Kind of like a little kid doesn't know. You tell them to do something and they trust you, they'll do it even if it's the wrong thing. Well, David says the book is trustworthy, it's reliable. If you don't know what to do, it'll make you wise. You, you can count on it. If you read this, you'll do the right thing. Then he says the word of God is right. Giving joy to the heart. And when he says right, the word is stronger than just the opposite of wrong. There's a wrong and a right, and we know that. This is a little stronger word. It means the true path, the best path, the the most right way. My son is visiting me, and yesterday he was going to make a trip to visit uh, his grandmother and he wanted to stop somewhere else first and he said what's her address and I gave it to him and he plugged it into his iPhone and he showed me he said okay it's got three routes which one's the best all three of them are right all three of them would get you there but he said which one's the best okay and so I showed him I said you go this way that's the best that'll save you the most Miles and all that. You can get there other ways, but this is the best. Okay, David says, this is the best. This is the true path. And it's the true path to what? Give joy to the heart. How many people in this world have tried so many ways to give joy to their heart? That's a whole other subject, but this world's tried everything. Okay? And if you take a census and go around and mark, are you depressed or anxious or fearful or doubting or are you joyful? I think you'd get a whole lot more of the depressed and fearful and anxious and doubting than you would joyful. David says you want to be joyful, you want to bring joy to your heart. This is the true path. Then he says the word of God is radiant giving light to the eyes. And the word he uses for radiant is like a bright focus. And the best way I could think to explain that is I'm a little night blind. Okay, When I drive at night, I can't see the street signs as well as I can in the daytime. There's other people in the car who aren't night blind, can read the signs a lot sooner than I can. I get a good vision. I I need a little more light on things. That's the word he uses here. You bring it into bright focus. 
I drove in a heavy fog one time. I remember the heaviest fog I ever drove in. And I just put my right wheel on the white line at the side of the road. That was all I could see. A couple of yards in front of me, I could see the white line, and after that, it disappeared. And so I just drove along that white line. That worked fine until I had to find the street to turn off the highway on. Because I couldn't see past the white line. I needed some sunlight. I needed some bright focus. I needed something to give light to my eye so I could see where to go. David says the book is radiant. It gives light to the eyes. David says the book is pure, enduring forever. And pure means it is undefiled. It has no fault in it. It's absolutely perfect. I read a lot of books besides the book. I read a lot of books. I read business books. I read self-help books. I read religious books. I, I read all kinds of them. And when I'm done, you know, I always say, there's some good things in there. Somebody, what, what do you think about that new book on so-and-so? Well, I read it, and there's some good stuff in there. Now, I don't agree with all of it. His idea on this, I don't think that would work. His idea on this, I think that's a little bit off. But his idea on this and this and this, that's really good. David says, that's not the case with the book. With the book, it is all pure. All of it's good. Not just part of it. It's all pure. It's undefiled. It's without fault. And it endures forever. That means it's relevant today. A lot of people don't believe that today. Because they don't like what the book says. They don't want to live by it. So they say, well, it's not relevant anymore. A couple of centuries ago, a couple of millennia ago, it was relevant, but not anymore. Well, David says, the book, the Word of God is pure. It endures forever, whatever time you live in, whatever culture you live in. However primitive the culture, however sophisticated the culture. Doesn't matter. It is relevant. It doesn't need any updating, doesn't need any editing, doesn't need any revising. It is good for every generation. It is pure, enduring forever. And finally, he says, the Word of God, are, the words of God are sure and altogether righteous. Sure means true. It is true. Absolutely true. And it is altogether righteous. It is comprehensively good. That's quite a description of the word, isn't it? That's what David determined after a life of trying some wrong ways and some right ways. That's what he said about the word of God. And then he said, it's worth more than gold. Worth more than gold. Anybody want to sell me your Bible today? I would buy a Bible today. How about $20? Would you take $20? I know some of you would. Take, well, would you take a $20 gold piece? More of you would. Okay, because it says $20 on it, but it's really almost an ounce of gold. And some of you know, well, that's worth more than $20. Yeah, in fact, this happens to be a St. Godden's gold piece that was commissioned by Teddy Roosevelt. Some people think it's the most beautiful coin ever minted in America. 
it's worth what an ounce of gold is worth, basically. Well, unless this happened to be in 1933. A 1933 coin exactly like this sold at auction for $7.5 million. Because there are not many of them around. They're very rare. This one's not a 1933, by the way. <laughs> I don't have security arranged here, so I thought I'd better mention that. This is worth only about an ounce of gold. Well, almost everybody in here would sell me their Bible for about $1,700, what's it worth? David says it's worth more than this. Now, now I realize you would sell me your Bible because you could go get another one real easy. And I'm not talking about the Bible itself. I mean, the book that you hold in your hand. He's talking about the contents. He says the contents are worth more than a 1933 $20 gold piece. Because of what he just said about it. You can't find another guide like that. You can't find anything like it. It's worth more than gold. The contents are. In the 1500s in England, the the ruler of England, Bloody Mary, didn't like Protestants. They weren't following the Catholic Church, and she didn't like that, so she terrorized Protestants. Now, part of the problem was that Gutenberg had just figured out how to print the Bible. And so more people had the Bible. And more people could open it up and see what the Word of God actually said instead of somebody telling them what it said. So what she did to terrorize them and to stop it was she killed Protestants. She had them killed. And when the soldiers killed them, if they had a copy, which was still very rare, but some of them did have a copy, They would kill them, cut their heads off or whatever, and in the pool of blood that they left, they would take their Bible and dip it into that pool of blood. And there are still a few copies that you can find called Martyr's Bibles that the top third or so is stained with the blood of the owner. Those people probably wouldn't have traded me their Bible for a $20 gold piece. Because they traded their life for it. They believed that's what the word of God was worth. David finishes that little passage by saying, it warns you. It lets you know when trouble's coming. And if you follow it, if you live by it, it gives you great rewards. That's David's testimony on the word of God. King David believed that the book was complete and it transforms. He believes that it was reliable and that it makes you wise. He believes that it is the right path and it gives you joy. He believed the word of God enlightens you so that you can see clearly. He believed that the word of God is without fault and it is relevant today. He believed that the word of God is true and entirely good. So here's our challenge. Will we learn to live by the book? That's what I'm proposing this year. 
I'm inviting you to join me this year as we try to learn how to do that. I know we do it to some degree, and some people do it better than others, but I think we can all do it better. If all of that's true, all of that that David said is true, then we ought to live by the book. So I invite you to join me as we learn to live by the book this year. My purpose today was just to interest you, just to to make you think that might be worth trying. If it really is the Word of God, if it really does do all those things, then that's the way I should live my life. I hope you're interested enough to come back next week, and next week we'll talk about our plan. We know our purpose now is to learn to live by the book. How are we going to do that? Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm going to have to read the Bible six hours a day. No. I'll let you in on a secret. You don't need to read it at all. It'd be a good idea. But to learn to live by the book, well, we're going to see another plan than just having to read it over and over. So come back next week. We'll work on our plan of living by the book. I don't know where you are with God. I don't know your relationship with God. I don't know if you're saved. I don't know if you died tomorrow, if you'd go to heaven or not. You say, well, how can you know that? The world says, how can you be sure of that? Well, you can go ask a lot of people. You can go ask all kinds of churches and priests and pastors and creeds and doctrines, and you can get all kinds of answers. But that question has been asked and answered in the book. That's a pretty good place to start living by the book. It tells you how to get in the right relationship with God. It tells you how to be in Christ and get to heaven. If you know what it says about that and are ready this morning to put Christ on in baptism, we'd be so happy to help you. If you need to learn more about it, we'd be happy to study with you so you can begin living by the book. If you need to respond this morning, come, let's stand and sing.